Welcome to Revenue Harvest, a podcast about the fundamentals of sales leadership. Did you know most sales teams don't hit their sales targets and you can't afford to miss yours? This podcast will give you the answer to questions that will help you lead your team better, consistently exceed your sales targets, and make the most of your career. I'm your host, Nigel Green, and the whole idea behind these conversations is to learn from people who can make you a better sales leader. Let's get started. In this episode, I get the chance to sit down with my friend, Marcus Murphy. I first met Marcus when I was the CEO of StoryBrand, and at the time, he was leading sales for Digital Marketer. Uh, Digital Marketer uh, is a great tool uh, for companies that do any type of digital marketing. They provide courses and resources and templates. And um, you may have heard of them. I mentioned them in my book, Revenue Harvest in the Position Principle, uh, because their CEO, Ryan Dice, did a brilliant job of framing the company's mission around doubling the sales for over 10,000 companies. They're well on their way to do that. But this is about Marcus. Uh, If you haven't met Marcus, uh, you've been living in a hole and you're probably not on LinkedIn. I don't know anyone that's on LinkedIn that doesn't know Marcus Murphy. He's on the board of advisors for LinkedIn. That's right. LinkedIn thinks he's so smart. They've asked him to be on their board of advisors. He has a course on selling in the LinkedIn learning curriculum. So you can go check it out. Check out his course. He has recently started a new company called The 5%. We're going to talk a little bit about that uh, in today's episode. We're also going to talk about a LinkedIn post uh, that he posted that went viral, and it's not quite what you might think. We're going to talk about how you can better use LinkedIn to build your own personal brand. Uh, If you're a sales leader and you're trying to find that next opportunity or elevate your stature within or industry or with customers. Marcus has got some really good ideas. Uh, he wants you to get be really clear about where you find your identity, and we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how sales processes are shifting and some common mistakes that you might be making in your sales process that are leaving a lot of easy, easy transactions on the table. And uh, yeah, you're really going to like it. We, we, go, we go deep. It's raw, it's emotional uh, at times, and I think you're going to love it. Marcus Murphy. Here we go. Marcus, how are you, buddy? I am fantastic. How are you? I'm good. (laughs) So uh, this is, uh, I guess, in the soccer world, they would call this a friendly it's going to be quite different, uh, quite different in the sense that uh, sometimes I am you know, talking to people that are experts that do this that I may just have encountered because of you know something that they wrote or uh, something. And, and you've done all that, but we we've been friends for four years, so this is going to feel yeah. like uh, I don't know home field advantage, maybe. Yeah, man. You know, it's funny when you actually invited me and said, you know, we need to talk about running sales teams and that kind of stuff. I mean, dude, we've been talking about that for four years. <laughs> so it's like, this is, this is not a, a hard thing to talk about for us. This is typically like our, our phone chat anyway. So getting it down and recording it is, is hopefully going to help some folks. Yeah. And I mean, to take it one step further, I can, I can remember a number of times where you've sent me a file or I've sent you something and I said, what are, what are we not seeing here? And uh, you've served, at least for me uh, over the years as a bit of, my own council member to say, Hey, you need to think about this or have you seen this piece of technology? So you've been very quick to just ping me when you feel like there's something you're seeing or doing that I need to know about. Yeah, man. I think that what's really crazy is like, it's really picked up a ton for me recently. And over the last four years, obviously in the kind of like online prospecting LinkedIn stuff, like everybody wants me, wants to talk to me about that. What they don't realize is that I've been a sales guy for 15 years uh, built the teams. And when we're building it, like when you're building a team from scratch and you're trying to add it to a existing company that doesn't, has never had a sales team. That's when it was like constant, Hey, Nigel, like, what do you do here? And how do you communicate this in a non-aggressive, non-sales centric way? And I think that's where, yeah, dude, our, our notes are, 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 
a mile long, right? <laughs> so let's, let's I, go I there for a second. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, please. No way. So you, you said uh, something that I think is really interesting to, to a lot of folks that are listening uh, to this. I don't even know if I shared this with you. Most, most people are leading a sales team. Uh, they're an executive or they are in private equity. They're investors that, that own companies that um, their growth is predicated on uh, an ec- excellent sales team. So you, you started at Digital Marketer, what, 2015, 2016? Yeah, 2016. No sales team, which, you know, so for those that don't know Digital Marketer, primarily e-commerce at the time, you clicked a button, you gave your credit card information, and that was it. Uh, yeah. But then yeah. then you, you know, Ryan hired you and said, we need a sales team. And so you, you've done that masterfully for the past four years. If you had to go back and give Marcus some advice on starting a sales team from scratch, what would be the first thing you would do? And then is it different now than the first thing you did then? Oh, man. You know, the first thing I think that I would have done uh, differently if I was talking to four year ago, Marcus building a sales team, uh, I honestly came in a little naive. I I came in and said, you know what, I'm going to build a sales team that I've built before. I'm going to bring the sales team in that I had uh, for my previous or or, or that I've been a part of, because that's the thing. Like we want to go ahead and borrow from, it's the reason why they hired me in the first place. You want to, you want to, you have a breadth of experience that, you know, spans big company, small companies. Like for, for me personally, I've worked as a salesperson from the beginning, selling vacuum cleaners door to door, which was excellent. Um, then got an illustrious working MBA at enterprise rental car, which was also great. Uh, went into higher education where I was selling education, uh, in a great new way. And then moved from selling education to starting my own company and then moving into SaaS sales, which is a whole different ball game. And then I went into ad tech at Yelp in the early days before people really knew what it was selling, selling hopes and dreams, right. (laughs) And trying to educate people on what that is. And then, and then honestly, that was the transition from to Infusionsoft where I was there for a while on the partnership side. And then that's where I got to digital marketer. But that whole experience was interesting because every single job I kept bringing and pulling and lugging my previous experience into my current role. And so this was unique because what I would have told myself, which would have saved me a lot of heartache is that you have to create and find the, the native rhythms of the sales team that you're building at the place that you're building it. Because I, if I literally tried to bring a sales team in from Yelp to digital marketer, I would have ruined the entire customer base. I would have lost all the loyalty they had built over the years in terms of being kind of a value first, because the model from Yelp is kind of this like, you know, blunt force trauma outbound, like going to call you a million times until you kind of tell me that you are sick of me calling and then you're going to give me your credit card and set this thing up. And that's not everybody at Yelp, but man, if I would have taken that experience and plopped it down in the middle of digital marketer, I would have really hurt the brand. And I think if I could tell them, Hey, you know what? You need to just slow down a little bit. When you, when you're coming in to build a brand new sales team at a company that's never had one, you have to understand and fall in line with the momentum they've already built. And you have to find a way to amplify what already works. Like when I came to Digital Marketer, they were already making a ton of money. Yes, they were a direct response marketing company where somebody would see an ad or see a video or go to some piece of content. At the end of it, they're pulling out their credit card to join or go deeper. And then there's an entire funnel that they're going through, including multiple product ascension levels, et cetera. It was this complex thing that was already working. They were already making millions and millions of dollars every single month. And so when you put a sales team on top of that and you put a sales team that already kind of smells like something you'd already done, then you have kind of created this like paralysis and the uh, and the ability for the sales team to not just be a branch off of a tree, but truly be a part of the tree. Um, so yeah, if I went back and talked to myself, I would say, hey, leave all that crap that you learned behind. Spend a lot more time being a student. Learn what will help the business go faster and build a team that they need, not the one that you know. Mm. So the world looks to you uh, for ways to be better at LinkedIn. Uh, I remember, uh, well, probably it was at a traffic and conversion uh, conference, and I can't remember who it was, but they were talking about how you know email's not really dead, uh, but it's dying, and it's because uh, salespeople and marketers are killing it. And I wonder, <laughs> like. 
how long before that's the same outcome for LinkedIn and specifically uh, InMail? Because uh, I feel like it's it's killing me. Um, so <laughs> I wonder if, if there's anybody else that's uh, dying from uh, seeing the influx of InMails. You know what's really interesting is like going back to the other statement. You know, I, I can't come out four years on the other side of working for one of the best marketing companies on the planet and not be a good marketer. Um, you know, I, I feel like I'm this kind of new animal. I, I came in a sales guy. I graduated this like sales and marketing combo chameleon. I have no idea what you want to call me, but I do understand now the, the opportunity. I see it clearly. If I was just a sales guy or a sales leader and I looked at LinkedIn, it, it would I would miss the bigger opportunity that is actually there. So yeah, email messages, by the way, are complete trash. Like most of the stuff I get every single day from every person reaching out to me has nothing to do with me and everything to do with them. And I mean, that's sales outreach 101, right? It doesn't, that's why I told people before, email's not dead. The phone is not dead. I I had to take a deep breath on that one because I get a lot of, you know, we could go on a whole podcast rant about the phone being dead, Nigel. But I think that it's not the phone being dead. It's the person connected to the phone. Mm. Like it's not the person, it's not the email is email is dead. It's that your email sucks. It's not that your LinkedIn email message outreach doesn't work. And oh my gosh, LinkedIn doesn't work. And it's totally, no, your content, your LinkedIn outreach is trash. And so I think that what's interesting here is that the opportunity lies in being the outlier. It, the opportunity lies in understanding the game and understanding how to structure outreach in a way that gets people to want to engage you in a conversation. Because there is no other, there is no other outcome. There is no other goal. If you think you're going to send the magic email that gets somebody to pay you so that you don't have to get on the phone with them, you're an idiot. If you think that you're going to, you're going to send the magic, the magic email message that gets somebody just to want to buy without you actually having to go through a conversational sales process, you lose before you ever send that mail, before you ever send that mail at all. And so what I'm trying to say is I've seen now, and I've been coaching people on this forever on how to outreach using the platform, using LinkedIn, but using email, using the phone, using whatever vehicle we want. But how do you create conversational dialogue? How do you create thoughtfulness value upfront that doesn't increase the sales cycle beyond being able, like where you get friend zoned, right? How do you create a a, a piece of, of content that drives awareness, that creates conversations, that ultimately is way more of a content marketing play and brand strategy on the sales side than you've ever experienced before. And I think the reason, the root of all of it is that salespeople are now realizing that they are no longer the bottom of the funnel. They are actually being kind of, there's like a forcing function for them to be a part of the conversation at the top of it, in the middle of it. But here's the bad part, Nigel, like no one's teaching them how to do that. They understand they're supposed to be. So like if this were a podcast that were for sellers, we talk about crafting that email. Excuse me. We talk about like what, like tactical stuff, but it's not, this is a, this is a conversation for leaders and executives. And so it's just fundamentally a leadership problem. So what's the wisdom to uh, the leaders that are uh, allowing bad messaging, allowing this spamming, like, what do you say to them? They, they, or there's two things. One, some leaders don't know that any of this is happening. They understand they're, they, they, leaders are so interesting because salespeople, sales leaders are like, uh, there's, there's a couple camps here. One camp is my people are going to go out there and they are going to, the, the good ones are going to hit their numbers, right? The good ones are going to, you know what that does? That takes the emphasis off of you being a teacher. And you being a leader that actually is in the trenches, teaching your people, giving them a roadmap, a framework, a guideline. That is unbelievably unfortunate in a new age of selling for your reps because when if you're just saying, okay, yeah, I know they need to have LinkedIn. I'm going to go ahead and buy LinkedIn Sales Navigator. I got enough understanding about it, and I'm just going to let that be a tool because that's an added advantage to my team. But you don't know how to A, use it. B, you don't actually help create scripts and guidelines and those types of like frameworks for them and helping them understand how to use it, then you're missing and you're wasting your time and and a lot of your money and your resource and your budget. The other camp that I think is really interesting there is that when you are sitting around looking at, at, at like a LinkedIn, like a tool, right? It's a number of things we spend budget on. It's just a number of things. If it's not a part of the primary 
objective of you reaching your goals. If it's not helping you bridge the gap between your <clears throat> stated goal and, and whatever your team is doing to get to that goal, I think that's the part where I feel like it's incredibly disconnected for the leader. I think that what, what we, it's the perceived value of the tool, right? Like you have a number of things at your disposal every single day that your people can use to like get to your goals, to like get you one step closer to um, whatever that number you threw out at the beginning of the year, month, quarter, et cetera. And I think that if, if we're going to say, I think you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't see the value of, of LinkedIn. Uh, with your people and how they're using it. I think that if you've taken yourself out of the teacher role, then you are literally uh, killing your team slowly. Uh, you don't really know that, but you're you, that, that whole kind of like, Hey, I'm just going to put people in place in order to like, I'm just going to get the people that are going to hit the goals. I mean, well, well let me ask this. Are the goals wrong? <laughs> um, that's a big question, Nigel. I think you want, I think you want a big answer, but I don't know. Yeah, I'm just, I, I mean, if, if the, if you're saying that the whole, you know, we're, we're doing all this to hit the goals and most leaders are trying to back into, you know, what needs to happen by stage in order for that, for the goal to be reached. I mean, I don't know. Is the goal of like this many in mails, like, is that a role? Is that a bad goal? Oh yeah. I actually, yes, you're right. I, I look, I heard you wrong in that situation. Yeah. I mean, I don't want mindless, right? Like I think that the reason why we put early KPIs in place is just to get people in a rhythm, but I don't necessarily think that I don't, I, I think goals are interesting. I think shooting for effectiveness, not necessarily efficiency, but effectiveness, right? So like, how do because, you measure that? Yeah. So I think that it's measured by the amount of, like I've literally created new KPIs, which is like number of conversations, like engaged conversations. And the way you can actually see that in, in LinkedIn or in sales navigator is your number of open conversations that are not, um, it, and it's a new number. It's something that doesn't exist. Like you've never heard that before. It's not, it's not a normal KPI that anybody would have, but open conversations is a really great thing to start thinking about with your, with your reps. Because if you're looking across the landscape of like, what, what is the effectiveness of, of, of somebody who's sitting in a seat and what is required of that seat and what is the effectiveness of that seat? It's less about, Oh, they have to have a hundred dials a day, right? Like that's not, that's not the goal, right? That's not what we're trying to do here on the in-mail side, because what they're going to do is then, then you're going to start having leaders go, Oh, well, I'm smart. I'm going to go ahead and uh, automate all of this, right? Which is the problem. This is the problem. The problem is we're getting a lot of automated outreach from different reps based on the fact that their leader or whoever the organization is think that that's the most effective use of their time. The only problem is, is that the actual site is requiring you to personalize. The site is, is, is creating the expectation of individual outreach that is not, um, that is not going to be this like highly automated like experience for people because that's not how the site is is set up in any other way. So the in-mail messages that are happening when a leader decides to be, you know, to create efficiencies around around sending out in-mail messages on behalf of their team, what happens there is that they actually it's an inconsistency because the rest of the site and the rest of the entire platform is operating in the opposite of that. The other the entire platform is built in a way that you can individualize your outreach that you are sending, you're, you're adding personalization to your, 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 everything that you're doing. And so I think that's where, that's where I feel like the inconsistency exists. So if you're a leader on here and you're like, man, how, how do I get more conversations for my people? It isn't automating it so that they can send out a thousand email messages, right. With, with, with some like pre-written script that the, they get 10, maybe 20 different like really intentional and the perfect avatar and it's, they've done their research and they, they reach out to them in a way that actually shows that they've been thoughtful and they've done that research and they understand that person's themes and where their business is going. And they have some really great way to ask a question to start a conversation. That's a better use of their time. Not a hundred email messages and automation, but 20 personalized, intentional, targeted messages that are going to result in a much bigger response seems to be the, the quote unquote goal, Nigel, like that would be an effective use of, of our time. And that's where we, what we've been doing. We don't do the big like spray and pray model like you would with an email or whatever. We, we really use a site in a personalized way. So less volume emphasis on effectiveness as measured by number of real open conversations. Correct. 
So, um, one of the things that I want to talk about, uh, span of control and, and your, your thoughts on it. I, I laugh all the time. I see that sometimes the span of control, uh, for this top of the funnel team, and I shouldn't say just top of the inside sales. Let me, let me be more clear. Inside sales uh, can range from like six to 26. Um, what are your thoughts on like what's the what's the sweet spot, and what goes into determining the sweet spot? Because right, I mean, I recognize as soon as I ask the question, well, it's nuanced. Okay, so what what are the factors that go into saying, okay, this is when I need to hire another manager because twenty six may not be the right number of direct reports. Oh man, you know it's crazy because that that number is interesting based on the process, right? Like at, at Yelp, we had teams of fifteen or twenty. Um, at, at, at digital marketer, a pod or like an actual team that needs a manager is roughly six reps because of the complexity of the sales process. And I think that I, I personally don't have like a target on that other than just realizing that there are early signals of when you should expand. And for us, when I hired the first sales manager, cause I was the first sales manager, like don't get it twisted. I was the first salesperson and the first first sales manager until I replaced myself multiple times within the org chart. When I put out the org chart, the ideal org chart for our sales organization for digital marketer, my name was at a lot of those spots at multiple levels. And then as I started to grow, I just replaced my name with other people's names. That's like what I did. But I remember saying that this is the this is what the company needs. Like if we're going to understand that, that the number of personalized outreach here and the, the amount of time it takes to do that, then I was going to have to sit there and say to myself that, yeah, I need to have X amount of people to accomplish that, that level. And then I had to find a way. This is why it's interesting because people are going to hate this and some people are going to love it. At Digital Marketer, I was strapped. I had to kind of like operate as if I was a business that had to, you know, I was growing out of, of cash capital. That's what I was doing. So I had to earn my spots on my team. So as I started, as the team started making money, then I could start making investments into that. And I was sitting there going like, man, I can't get and pay for some of the best reps out there. What do I do? How can I, what is the actual thing that I can do? Well, I knew at that moment I needed to home grow. That's the only option when, you have, when you're kind of strapped in terms of growing your sales org is that you have to home grow your talent. And so I was like, okay, well, what, how much, what does that look like? So for me, I'm just, and I know a bit, this is a bit of a, a well-rounded answer, Nigel, I'm sorry, but it's a really interesting way that we built, built this team. I actually created the sales team from the customer support team. I actually started taking people that were high performers in the customer support team, which was also under my org. And, and graduating them into an MDR, SDR, you know, BDR type role, and then working them into being AEs and, and working them through that entire process from customer support to being like a senior uh, account executive. And I saw that opportunity. That's why four years in, we have some of the best, most informed uh, salespeople that we've ever had is because they came out of a place where they were having tons of conversations with our current customers and they were learning the product and they were learning the cadence, they were learning the language. And as we brought them into an, an SDR role, we realized that they were now equipped with that knowledge and that conversation to go out and start proactively speaking to people and educating them in the sales process and getting them to a place where they would want to buy. And so the handoff was less about, and it was a really less complex sale because we were using all the marketing on the inbound side, but now we're hit, they're not order takers, they're educators. And so then we took those people and the best performers from that. And now we started like an inbound escalation model where you would take these people and have a, a touch point or two, qualify them to a higher level, high touch, you know, expanded sales process um, to an account executive to close. And so I actually realized that instead of thinking about it, how many people do I need on my team? Um, I was trying to figure out, well, how many, how, how long, how long and how intentional and how many touch points and what are we doing that's getting us the best results. And then I built a team, uh, and, and realized that there needs to be a more hands-on approach. Cause like I told you before, I know you probably heard it in my voice though. I get frustrated with leadership when they feel like it's not their responsibility to teach and not their responsibility to be in the trenches along, uh, along with their reps. And I think that what we're looking at here is that I found a sales process that took a little bit more time, took more handholding, took more intentionality, saved us a ton of money on, on the front side while we built it. Became an incredibly profitable model uh, in terms of rep to to revenue, and then what we looked at was basically saying, okay, well, I need more managers because 
a pot of six people takes a ton of time to develop um, because of the current, you know, because we were kind of bootstrapped in terms of what we could spend on developing that team. Does that so make sense? Let's, yeah. So let's go here. Um, one of the things I've noticed between uh, companies that scale out of cash versus uh, an equity-backed, venture-backed company is I see the CEO requiring the sales leader to contribute to revenue. Oh, sorry about that. Contribute to revenue in some form of a, uh, a quota. But it feels like, based on what you're saying, that if you've got six direct reports and it requires a lot of hand-holding, there may not be any margin for individual selling, but I, I want to just kind of zoom back and, and I don't want to lead you down any path. Like what do you, what's your take on a leader having a, a production quota or contributing in their own book of business versus just, no, you're responsible for the entire production of the team. Yeah. I love the first part. I love doing it to understand the process. Like out of the gate, I had to create the SOPs. I had to create the playbook. And so there was no other way for me to do that. And maybe there is, and maybe other people are way more sophisticated, but I like the idea of having a quota carrying sales manager, at least in the early stages, because of how intimate they have to be with the sales process. And it's really hard, even like when you're barging calls or when you're sitting there, you know, looking over your rep's shoulders, it's really hard to gauge, you know, what the, like what overcoming objectives really feels like, unless you're sitting in the seat, unless you're having the conversation, understanding what access to information you have to have in order to get that person over the edge on a call, or, you know, you won't know how many touch points it truly takes or like how it, Hey, guess what? Most of us, by the way, as a sales leader have enough experience selling that it actually ends up being this really incredible opportunity to streamline the process where you would have maybe an earlier rep or someone who's not as polished, uh, do, you know, fumbling over that process. The other part too, though, is that I actually think that I created when I sat in that seat and I started making those phone calls and having those conversations, um, what really it became very clear to me was that there are reps, there are people on the team that were honestly better than me. <laughs> and the reason why they were better than me is because they were following the process. Whereas I would, because I'm such a senior person, whatever, I would, you know, kind of whatever freestyle and do things that I knew that I could do that weren't necessarily repeatable. But it was so that that was the disadvantage of having me sell the product is that it wasn't necessarily this repeatable process that I knew that I could, you know, wash and repeat and put somebody in place there and just say, do these things and we should get this result. So the, that was the only disadvantage, but I would encourage anybody who's building a team from scratch to be the first person that goes through that process to help you create the process that people have to wash and repeat. And then it made me mindful of the fact that I am very much senior in my role. And so there were things that I couldn't actually put down that were repeatable. And so the disadvantage of having somebody come in who's, uh, you know, who's a sales manager and they stay in that role, Nigel, like if they're a selling manager and they stay selling throughout the process, that is not, I feel like that's a disadvantage. I feel like that's a massive disadvantage um, because you don't, you, you're going to, you're going to start to do things and your reps are going to start picking up on bad habits because you're going to go outside the box. And yet there's a major tendency to go outside the box, uh, which is unfortunate for teams that want to scale because, you have to have these really standardized, repeatable processes that uh, people can follow. I want to talk about, um, you said outside the box, and it reminded me of a lot of the work that I'm having to do with with my clients now. So most of my clients have uh, an outside enterprise sales team that typically uh, the way in which they engage the marketplace is belly to belly, eyeball to eyeball. They're in front of the customer. There's been not a lot of that going on recently. And <laughs> so a lot of the a lot of the leaders that I work with are having to rethink everything really within their sales team. And you've done inside sales for a long time. One of the things that's that I see that's different about inside selling versus outside sales is there is very much a box. And the box uh, is a non-negotiable how, and what I mean by box is like, so on the outside team, like you have to do a certain number of meetings, you have to close a certain number. There's, there's certainly metrics associated with it, but the difference is on the inside sales team, it, 
it's not enough to hit the goals, but it, you also have to do it in a certain way. How do you tell, I mean, how do you begin to make that shift? Like if, if I'm trying to, if I've seen, and a lot of leaders and a lot of teams are seeing this, if I've seen that I can actually sell this uh, over Zoom or sell this with an inside sales team, what's your what's your starter kit for that leader? What do you say to them? What, what would you give them? Like tech, process, box, like what's, what's Marcus Murphy inside sales 101? What's that class consist of? <laughs> Oh man, that's a great question. Um, honestly, I think that right now we are starting to see, like you just said, we're starting to see that that the the sales process um, is is shifting. Like I'm I'm the kind of guy that would I'll, I'll take a flight and go sit face to face with a potential client because it you know I'm great. I shine there, right? Like I totally shine there. Um, I just think that we obviously aren't able to do that. And so you have to create these levels of intimacy over a video call or in some other way. If I had to go back to an inside sales kind of playbook, the everything's normal that is there, right? The, the technology's the same. It's Zoom. Uh, it's some type of CRM to organize, you know, our, our list. And I won't, I mean, you know, I've used HubSpot, we use Salesforce, like it depends on your size and what you want to get out of it. Your tech stack, how, gosh, dang, we could have a, you should have a podcast just on breaking down a tech stack for an early stage manager. And honestly, the, 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 so it doesn't matter what label you put on it, some type of way of organizing your customers, right? Your potential and your current customers. And then I would a hundred percent invest in chat. Um, I know that that's something that I wish I could go back and invest in sooner in our sales process because of what it's meant. We use Drift, uh, which has been uh, huge for us and their, their company out of Boston, Drift.com. But I think that, yeah, a combination of understanding that our, our people are going to be on calls and our people are going to be mostly on uh, some type of VoIP situation and they're going to be on Zoom, which I, I actually encourage every single rep to be on camera uh, if they, as much as possible because that actually makes a huge difference. I invest in Loom really early on uh, because that's a way that people can follow up uh, and do a video over presentation because I think a lot of your people need that. Um, I 100% would in, invest in some type of, of outreach software. Um, Outreach.io does a really good job. Max Altucher uh, just joined that team from Sales Hacker as their VP of marketing uh, and does a tremendous job with the product. Uh, and it also incorporates, obviously, my favorite thing, which is LinkedIn and helping people to understand how that gets connected to the CRM and everything else. That Those are really great tools. Now, listen, none of that is like uh, blows your mind. <laughs> none of those things it's like you got to have a phone you got to be able to organize your clients you got to have some outreach tools uh you got to have you got to have a way for your people to see and and do presentations or proposals like all of those tools i've gone through every single one of them it's like proposify for this or like pandadoc for that or you know and i've just gone through a range of different sales tools that everybody should be using um and and i think that that's where it gets kind of exhausted uh for me because all of those things are, are not new. Do a Google search and figure that out. Like there's a million different lists. The one thing you won't find on a lot of lists that I would, if I, if I could go tell the early, that person who's trying to start their sales uh, leadership career is personalization, follow-up. Follow-up is like for some reason, not on the list of tools for a tech stack. And I don't know why. I don't know why, but I'll tell you, the intentionality it takes, the time it takes to follow up, to send a thank you card, even if you miss, even if like the person doesn't pick you or your product or service to send there and thank somebody for their time is just an, it'll make you stand out in a massive way. So there are different tools that you can use for that. Uh, John Rulin wrote this great book called Giftology and lists out a few different services in there that you can, you know, have this standardized gift that goes out, or you can even have like a, a coffee card or a $5 gift card for anybody that shows up to the call. You can do those types of things. And the reason why I say that that needs to be in the playbook is because I think it's the most overlooked part of it. Like it's the most overlooked part of it, this kind of unexpected gift or this follow-up and thank you. Like saying thank you for someone's time, even if they don't choose, like even if they aren't your customer or they say no, right? Those things go a long way because eventually those people, it's, it seems like it's a, it's a circular thing where these people will see that you're such an outlier. Um, so the only thing I was going to say, Nigel, was like, yeah, I, I love giving people the 
the the tool playbook and kind of the tech stack that I've gone through and just the essentials, which is definitely going to be like, how am I communicating? How am I organizing? And then how am I, how am I following up? And I just think the follow-up part tends to be the, the, the least amount of effort and energy put into by a sales leader. But it seems to be one of the most beneficial and crucial parts in my experience that people constantly overlook. So whether that's your people send out uh, you know, a personalized thank you, follow up, just a quick like thank you for your time letter that goes out. Uh, it's definitely well worth the investment in their time. It's well worth the investment in your company. Um, it's a great thing to send out a bunch of thank you letters every single week or month because guess what? As a sales leader, when you see these things going out the door, you're realizing your reps are having really meaningful conversations. And period, they're having conversations. They're not just sitting around sending emails that aren't getting replied to. They're sending a thank you letter because they had a, a, an intentional, real conversation with somebody that whether they become your customer now or they become your customer later, it was a great investment of your time and energy. And so I would just say that, you know, it's just feel, it's always felt very lopsided. Like, hey, this is kind of the leftovers is the follow-up. And unfortunately, the follow-up is what actually is the, the differentiator between a really mature sales org um, and one that is, is truly, quote-unquote, effective. Um, and so I think that if you want to stand out from the team and you want to start that early, I just wish I would have gone back and put more emphasis on the follow-up uh, when I was starting the team. What about personal brand? It's um, it's interesting, interesting thing, and I want to talk about it uh, from like the the leader's perspective, right? I, so uh, you you certainly need if, if you're going to be selling on LinkedIn, you want your sellers uh, active in LinkedIn. But like, what what's the role of the leader on LinkedIn? Yeah. Like specifically, like. This notion of, and if you could see me using air quotes, like thought leadership, um, building their yeah. personal brand so that it, uh, and, and only building personal brand uh, for the sake of furthering the business. And, and where do you draw the line between uh, you are a thought leader for the sake of growing this business and you are a thought leader for the sake of your own ego and your own career? And and I don't, I don't have any answers on it. I, I bring it up because... Uh, I'm curious about it and I'm seeing more and more of it. Uh, and I just want to hear from someone that, you know, LinkedIn has brought in and said, Hey, teach, teach a class, do that. Like you're the man. So what's your take on it? Yeah. Um, I feel like you can throw away the rest of this podcast interview and just show like, just share these next five minutes <laughs> so, because this is probably one of the most talked about most brought up. I've never put it down in a podcast episode, but it is the number one question that I get from sales leadership specifically about not their reps, but about them. And the majority of these sales leaders and people that reach out to me is like, how can I position myself on LinkedIn? The question I always ask is why? Like, why? Why do you want to be a quote unquote thought leader? Why do you want to um, build an audience? What are you building an audience for? is the question that every single sales leader has to ask or else don't do it, build it for your, your team and then help them do that and understand it. The only the, the thing I will say is this, the benefit of you having your own personal brand on LinkedIn or you having your own personal brand in general as some type of sales thought leader is only good if the thing you're selling is sales centric. Because otherwise, why would your prospective customer care or give a shit about you being a sales thought leader. <laughs> like if you're going to be a thought leader, be a thought leader in what your prospective customer cares about. Like that's the that's where I see the real benefit is that let's say I'm selling software as a service. Well, if I'm selling software as a service and I know that that's a need or a pain point for that person, then I need to become the expert that they go to, the person that they look to, the person that has the most information and the the person that's actually out there answering the questions that your prospect is looking to answer. Like that is the whole point of being the best brand, the best thought leader out there is that you're the person with the answers for the people that have the questions. And guess what? Those questions are causing them a ton of pain, a ton of pain. Like I literally sit around, I heard this from, from Ryan Dice one time, Ryan spends time, Ryan is one of the most studious people. Ryan is the CEO of Digital Marketer, by the way, and one of the founders. He is one of the most studious people I've ever met. Because half of his day is spent listening to the community's questions. 
listening to the people, the customer, the, the prospective customer, the questions they are asking. And he is sitting around all day and his evil plan is to answer all those questions. Like I know it sounds crazy, right? But now that we hear it, all of a sudden you can't unhear that. As a sales leader right now, you're sitting there going, oh shit, I need to get on Quora. I need to figure out what our customers, our potential customers are talking about, what their pain points are. And then I need to have our marketing team or have my team be able to put something out there in the world that is answering those questions. Otherwise, it's just noise. No one cares. No one cares about you being the best sales leader on the planet. Okay. Like if you want to put out your, your, your content and be a thought leader, then I'm going to sit there as the owner of our company. And as the person that's sitting around watching what you do every day and say, okay, well, if you want to be just known as this amazing sales leader and, and just like the respect of your peers to what end, like, what is that actually doing for the stated goals and what we're trying to accomplish? Now, here's the deal. I honestly think that the real way that you having a personal brand helps your team is if A, you are the thought leader in the space around the avatar's questions and what the pain point is, or B, you actually built a big enough platform that you have more credibility to help your, to introduce your reps and your people to conversations that they normally would just get rejected on. Like I'll tell you, Ryan Dice right now as the CEO of Digital Marketer could literally tee up or prop up a conversation for me, even being on the executive team that I probably couldn't get just on my own devices. I probably just couldn't get that conversation because of where I am in my organization or especially think about a rep. Somebody's just outbound and literally everybody already kind of hates and has a stigma associated with them. Well, what happens if the the director of sales or the VP of sales or the CRO of that company reaches out and says, hey, I actually have been following what you're doing for a long time. And then they look back at their LinkedIn profile, that person that they're trying to, that, that prospect, and they look back at their LinkedIn profile and go, oh, this person's the VP, the CRO. Um, these, this person's like a pretty serious player. They wouldn't just be reaching out to me about this. Maybe there's potential for a partnership. Maybe there's something here. So in that gained credibility, I can see the advantage of a sales leader having a personal brand that opens doors for their company. I can totally see that. The only problem with that, the only problem with that is that all the thought leadership I see has rarely anything to do with what you're selling, like anything to do with the objectives of the company or what you're talking about, unless you're selling a selling solution. <laughs> like that's the problem. That's the reason why I, I, ha- I struggle with it, Nigel, honestly, because I built a, a pretty incredible personal brand as a sales leader. Um, but then I've also been monetizing that. Because that attention has got me in the door of so many different organizations, which my team has benefited from, or the company's benefited from. Because when you're talking about what is the ultimate goal of every kind of executive having their own personal brand, well, it takes that company's logo into places that that company couldn't go before. So for me, like digital marketer, one of our, one of the, one of the, just, I know it's long winded, but it's, it's so important. One of the core values of digital marketer was be a bigger fish in a bigger pond. Well, the only embodiment of that was me taking the brand places that it wasn't already. Like if it was already there and they were already dominant, I'm not going to go talk about the brand in the marketing space. I'm going to go talk about the, the marketing brand that was that's built that is already dominant in the marketing space in a new vertical in a new arena, which is sales over here. And so what happened was now that got us into different partnership opportunities with like Salesforce and with Active Campaign and with all these really great companies and Tony Robbins of the world and whatever, because we are out there actively taking the brand that we've built into places that are, are essentially our brand has not been before. And so I see the benefit of that. But I honestly just want to pause. I, it, should cause you, it, it should cause you to have pause. If you're doing this just to have more followers or there's no direct tie-in to benefit or it doesn't necessarily benefit your team or you're not actually out there trying to be a thought leader in the space of what is your customer's pain point and how can you bring your expertise level to that to solve those problems, um, that's when it gets a little tricky for me. And that's when I would tell people that you know before you put all this time, energy, and effort into your own personal brand as a leader, A, can this get accomplished through you increasing the level of awareness and brand awareness around your reps? And then two, is this going to be something that opens new doors that gets your brand and your company into new places and ultimately, you know, builds, builds in the same process, builds a personal brand for you that, that adds and gives you integrity in, in your space. Um, I would, Nigel, the one question you had kind of built into that too, was just the optics around it, right? The optics around it are like, I get it guys. Like this isn't, you're not going to grow old in these positions that you're at. 
Like most sales leaders are in and out the door. Some of them, especially if they're early ground, they stay for a while, but even then they eventually graduate onto something else. They leave and go, you know, to another company of a smaller size, get more equity instead of just like this big bank account and a nice, a nice cushy kind of life. Like most, if you're a sales leader out there, you probably do want to. And (laughs) if you're making a lot of money right now and your salary is huge and your paycheck's huge, uh, but you have no equity. Oh, you have no ability to gain wealth. You have no ability to gain wealth. So a lot of you probably are going to graduate when you realize that, and you're going to go to another company to get more equity and maybe a little bit of less, a less on the, on the front side for, for revenue um, because of, you know, whatever. So what my whole point is, I get why we build personal brand as well, because we are going to have multiple careers uh, by the time that we're done working, by the time that we quote unquote retire. And so I also think that it is worth your time to take control of your personal brand. It can't be so tied to the business that it has nothing to do with what you're actually passionate about. Um, so I would say that if there's a if there's any kind of incongruency there, if there's anything that kind of butts up against each other, then I would say focus on your reps and let your brand build itself and, and through, through your expertise. Um, but yeah, Nigel, like I said, this is a hard one for me. It's one that could be its own podcast because there's two angles to it. One is completely the wrong way to do it. And then there's another way that to do it, which is, which is kind of like, I'm going to build my brand for the company to help build and open doors for my reps. And then also at the same time, understand that long-term um, I might want to make a pivot out of the company that I'm at and still have enough brand equity um, that opens a new door for me where I could, I could be with an organization that, that sees, sees that that is valuable. I want to talk about, um, you use the word incongruency. You're so calm, by the way. It's like, it's no, there's no feedback. It's like, it's like, Hey, was that good? And you're like, yeah. So I just want to talk to you about this. Your show, man. I'm, look, <laughs> nobody, nobody's listening to this to hear me. No, they they want to hear you. Um, I, I wrote a book in 2019 and the last principle of the book is called restore. And it's really, um, sometimes people think of restore as to like take a break and, and rest and, and rest is certainly the a root word in restore, but it's it's actually quite different. I mean, uh, to restore is to fix, to repair, uh, to make usable again. And hmm. I can think of a couple of times in my career. Twenty fourteen is one time I I was at a Tony Robbins event in Chicago, mm-hmm. UPW, and I left. Uh, for you know, he's notorious for going very long, and I was there with a group of friends, yeah. and we had just done the firewalk, and we, we were going through the six human needs, and I recognized that the way in which I was meeting my need for significance uh, was broken and needed to be restored. I, I, there was some miscongruency, right? So I felt like the busier I was, the more gregarious my travel schedule then the more significant and important that I was. And mm. I was missing out on some really significant moments uh, with my wife, with my family. And so I just left. I had that moment and I just got on a plane and flew back to Nashville. And yeah. then um, we, we moved out of the city in 2018 to move to a farm to have a simpler existence because I felt like uh, – well, th- there's this unavoidable reality that what you work on also works on you. And so working, you know, in, in a lot of s- startups and accelerated growth companies, it, it works on you and you got to take some time to do some reflection. And so I, we left the city, moved here for a simpler life. Then I wanted to write this book because I didn't care about an applause. I didn't care. I really just felt like there wasn't a lot of really good content for the sales leader. And so I wrote this book. But then, Marcus, I launched it in the midst of uh, a pandemic, uh, a race crisis, and I didn't get the applause that I actually didn't even know I was trying to get on some level. And so it's making me think through like what, what needs to be worked on for me. Um, and I share all that, uh, one, to be vulnerable, but also to say you kind of went through something like that and you don't have to share your details, but I think the point I want you to share with others is that how, how do you be mindful that what you're working on might be working on you in really unhealthy ways and it's creating incongruency in your life? Mm. 
you know, I recently, it's so interesting that you brought that up because there's been like a, an emphasis on that in my life only since, you know, this pandemic started, you know, I know it's terrible. And I look at, you know, I, I wake up every day. My wife thinks I'm such a weirdo, but I, I, I scan the internet. I look at everything that's happening. I kind of, I'm very aware of the situation. I also have a lot riding on the situation recovering, right? We all do. We all have this kind of like, we're not trying to get back to normal. We're trying to find a new one, but my new normal has changed because I was a hundred percent in search of significance. You know, you know who doesn't care if you're famous or what stages you get on or who you have dinner with or how much money's in your bank account or, you know, what, how good your book does is your family, man. Like my, I was, I was sacrificing my family off a lie that I told myself, which was the same lie that everybody tells themselves, but I just said it in a different way. I said, I'm doing it for them, quote unquote, like Mm. I'm doing it for them. And the crazy part was, is I really believe that. I believe that for a really long time. I was on the road for 300,000 miles last year. I sat in crazy arenas and went to spectacular dinners and sat across some really interesting, important people and celebrities. And I mean, dude, seriously, some of these tables I sat at, it looks like I was Photoshopped into them. Like I had no business being there at some of these places, but that was the nature of what I was trying to build. I was telling myself, that I was building this thing for them. And, you know, recently it's really funny because in the pandemic, I've slowed down to realize I haven't really built much for them in a long time. Um, I've built a lot for myself and then, and, and that came with like a lot of sacrifice of them, which is an interesting way to use them. Um, and, and this is where the big aha moment I had, I, I was sitting and it's painful and I'll tell you the story, but like I was sitting in my, you know, in my house, uh, I was on a number of calls and, you know, I, I decided to, to leave digital marketer and start my own company, uh, which was a big, big revelation I had over the last six months. And thank God I've got incredible people like Ryan Dyson, Richard Linder, and all those guys who own the company who really helped me with that and work and still advise me on the new company, which is rare. But I realized that I was losing some of the things I was losing this lifeblood, right? I was losing my family. And I wasn't going to look at my daughters anymore and tell them I didn't have time for something. So two weeks ago, I actually committed to building a playhouse that I had put off for a year or so, like a year and a half, and built this playhouse and put every amount of energy I had into building this playhouse. And like you know, and it, and it turned out great. And the crazy part was, and this is where I want people to maybe take pause, is that I realized I struck a chord with a lot of people and I didn't even mean to. I put up a post on LinkedIn about the house and building it. And and these realizations I had in the pandemic of kind of being like, wow, I actually have a choice here to really do it, quote unquote, for them. And even if it was just a physical, tangible manifestation of that, like I just wanted to build something that I could say, look, I did something for them. It's not hypothetical. It's not this future thing. I actually slowed my ass down long enough to build them something they've been asking me to do for a long time. And there it is. That's that's the, that's the real pursuit of this house that I built for them in the backyard was that I just wanted to give them something physical and I wanted to pay attention to them saying they want something and me to accomplish that need. And so I built this house and I put that on LinkedIn and I told them, Hey, here's the big aha moment that I had in all this season is that I'm not going to sacrifice them anymore. And if I do get on stages or I am at dinners or I am on the road or I am doing all these amazing things, it's nothing without them. It's nothing without them. My identity is a husband and a father first. My identity is about taking care of them in real and tangible ways. And if I'm building a life that is sans them, then it's no life at all. And I'm realizing that. And I'm realizing it a little too late, I think. I missed a big chunk of their early childhood um, be in pursuit of something that quote unquote was for them. And so I wrote this article, I put it up. I didn't expect it to really do much. I didn't know what it was going to do. It was really just my outpouring of being able to say that I'm having these realizations and I never intend for things to go viral. And then it's about, you know, I woke up, it's hundreds of thousands of views and tons of comments and people really resonate well with this. And they're talking about how they struggle with it themselves. It got a million views because good morning America picked it up and put us on 
display there and talked about this dad who was having these major realizations about family balance in the midst of a pandemic. And all I'm telling everybody is that I hope you don't get there. Like, I hope you don't have to write this article and I hope that you're building playhouses and I hope that you're spending time where it is. And I hope that your identity is not wrapped up in how significant you are or the next thing, or you get wrapped up in a lie that is that, that, that what you're doing is actually for them. And I think that's the part that I'm sitting around every day now looking at my girls and looking at my family. And when my girls sit there and they say, daddy, hold me, I, I don't, I don't, I'll, I'll hang up the call. There's nothing more important than that moment. I don't care who I'm on the phone with. And I'm on the phone with some pretty crazy, amazing people all the time. And one of my new business partners <laughs> and one of my businesses I'm launching is a very famous business celebrity. And I will absolutely hang up on his ass if my daughter sits around and says, Daddy, I need something. Because that's a conscious decision that we have to make. And, and I think that that's interesting because as I've done that and as I've hung up on people or rescheduled things because of my family's needs and what they want, guess what? My world didn't implode. In fact, I'm no more less famous than I was the moment I made that decision. In fact, I've gotten more notoriety for making the decision, and it's just insane to think that. Um, so, Nigel, all I'm going to say is that's a long-winded way of saying that. Don't get caught up in the lie. Don't get caught up in the lie that your significance and your significance and your identity is in what we do with our with our work. That your life is the thing that defines you. And those people and those significant relationships and people in those in that life, um, it it should be what uh, what what props that up. Like what you do with your professional pursuits in your life, absolutely prop up the most important things, uh, which is the actual part of your life that matters. And uh, you know, I had to learn that the hard way. Mm. So there, there are probably some people that are saying, "Oh, well, wouldn't it be nice to be Marcus?" Right? I mean, w- wow, it's easy for Marcus with a million views. All you know. But- what, what what does that have to do with me? And and I and I just so I want to say, flying out on Sunday night to go do a presentation across the country uh, because you think that it's the it's what's going to finally get you a seat at the executive table. That's a lie. You're you're not doing it for your family. Uh, to just you're doing it for you. You're doing it for your ego to. To say, you know what, I know I've been missing a lot of dinners, but if I just, I've got this, finally got some time to get one-on-one with our with our board and the equity group, and I've got to go. I just really got to do this. You don't have to. Um, there's this, whatever it is, you've got this narrative in your head. If it's, you know, it's it's the exit, it's the it's the outcome, it's hitting this quarter's numbers. I think that, I think what at least what I'm hearing from Marcus is that we've all got these lies that we tell ourselves that we, we falsely attach to we're doing it for someone else, but it's really just for our own significance. And you got to do this work of restoring the things about you, the, the, the same things that make you really competitive and make you a successful sales leader are also the same things that have this ability to unleash the darkness that's in you mm. and you got to mm. do the work to uh keep that in check and so i'm I'm really proud of you for doing that work and, and being raw and real and sharing that and i think that's a place to land the plane and let everyone just kind of yeah. noodle on um where where in your role is of leading a team and, and the role of aspiring to do more and conquer the world how's it working on you in a way that um maybe you don't like Maybe it's not so pretty. So, yeah, man. Thank you, brother. Always a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, I definitely, definitely just really appreciate this. And I'll tell you, it's rare to find a place. I wish there was a podcast or a book like Revenue Harvest or any of these things that you're doing right now when I was trying to start a team and when I was trying to build out a team or expand my team. Man, I, I, I struggled to find really good or to hear from really good sales leaders who have, have a good word for me. So appreciate you doing this. Man, it's it's a pleasure. And, um, you know, everybody that uh, if you don't know Marcus, you can find him on LinkedIn. Anything that you would uh, want to share or, or point uh, point our listeners to today to get to know you better or uh, stay connected with you? Yeah. Yeah. LinkedIn's a great way to do it. Um, my new venture I'm the this, with all my business partners and that team, I'm the CEO of a company called The 5%. So you can check that out, the5percent.com, all spelled out, the5percent.com. And um, yeah, man, I, I'm just uh, constantly 
looking to improve myself. So if there's anybody that has any kind of, uh, that's the other part too. Like if you want to reach out to me, reach out to me on LinkedIn for sure. Connect with me, but, but talk to me about what's going on in your world too. I love to, to engage in dialogue. Awesome. Well, brother, I love you. And uh, thanks again. All right, man. Love you too. Thanks, buddy. All right. That's going to do it. Music from this episode is from my good buddy, Justin Adams. You can listen to Justin's music in Spotify or Apple Music. Thank you, Justin, for the music. And thank you for checking out another episode of The Revenue Harvest.